Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. And that was a little something from the Indian Summer Festival. We're going to hear about it today. Plus, we got skin and bone from the Maritime Museum in Vancouver. And hot art, wet city. Chris Benson, please, please stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. I am your host this week, Megan, and it has been crazy around my life. Uh, have, I'm now at the Queer Arts Festival and we are coming up next week. Wednesday the 24th is our opening. It's free. Please come and say hello. Um, there's going to be beautiful people, beautiful art. Paul Wong is curating our visual arts. Um, there are some amazing situations happening at the festival this year. Yamantaka Sonic Titan is coming to town um, for us on the 3rd. And look out for tickets because they weren't able to do Jazz Fest this year. So there's a lot of hungry jazzers out there trying to go to this show. Um, Kinney Starr and Chris Dirksen are on the previous night on the second. Um, and tickets to both of those show if you're under 24, only five bucks. Um, so please check that out. And, uh, oh, what else is happening? Lick Lick Pick, which is a really, really transgressive dance piece. Gay pig boy culture. If you're not intrigued by that, I don't know how to intrigue you. Plus, there's going to be cupcakes, so it's pretty win-win. Um, and then our huge event is opera. And I know a lot of people who listen to the show with Sarah Lapsley know how much she loves opera. So When the Sun Comes Out is commissioned by the Queer Arts Festival and is the first lesbian opera in Canada. And this is a story set in Fundamentalia, um, where uh, being gay is illegal. Imagine that, eh? Um, and, uh, it's a love story and it's also a story about home and there's a bunch of amazing forums and writing workshops surrounding these ideas of migration, home, um, specifically looking at people with like multiple barriers to belonging, um, that we put on people such as being queer, being of color and, um, culture. So um, there's going to be some amazing ways to interact with the city and with your queer community um, coming up at the Queer Arts Festival. So please check that out, queerartsfestival.com. And I'm going to leave the, the good stuff, the juicy stuff to Sarah to cover because I'm so biased. I couldn't, I couldn't choose. It'd be like choosing between your children which shows to cover. So um, stay tuned to the Art Support with Sarah Lapsley. She'll be on for the next few weeks while I'm out making art happen. And uh, we will return. I will return hopefully in August, um, if not september sometimes we take a break so we're allowed get over it um but speaking of culture in a extremely positive sense um we have uh, some coverage of uh citr favorite since last year indian summer festival which was happening from july 4th to the 13th where the world meets um a festival of arts ideas and diversity and we have uh, arts reporter Back again, sporting a super fresh goatee. <laughs> oh my goodness. So it's all the rage. <laughs> that's what I hear the kids today. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about Indian Summer Festival. And you heard a clip at the top um, with some people doing some free 
these is Shiamak dance classes, but you actually did some of the their free bhangra. I did the free bhangra class, yes. I wanted to see for myself if it would uh, go beyond the really stereotypical twisting the light bulb, raising the roof maneuvers that uh, that <laughs> that is very you know commonly found at a bhangra party. But uh, as it turns out, it it did go beyond those simple dance moves, and it was a lot harder than I expected, and it was more of a workout than I expected. Uh, I, I did indeed sweat, and <laughs> I was not alone in that. There was all kinds of people from all walks of life. There was a, a married couple that crashed the bonger class. There was a... They little, crashed it? Yeah, like, like they actually did. They just walked through the middle of the Woodward's Atrium, uh, which is the, in the SFU downtown campus, they literally just walked through and they saw the class and they decided, hey, let's let's join in. It was their wedding day, I guess. They figured, why not? That's amazing. <laughs> it was brilliant. And then, like, a, you know, some little kids joined in and they, they started leading the class with the dance, uh, with the dance instructor. Uh, old, young, middle-aged, all kinds, all kinds of people uh, just getting together, making a little bit of a fool of themselves, but, you know, learning a new dance at the, at the same time. And... For me, as somebody from South India, I really don't know much about uh, the North Indian uh, culture, which is Punjab, the Punjab region, and that's where Bhangra comes from. It's a folk kind of, it has a folk rooting, it's uh, something that all the moves are actually based on what the farmers' movements were, like during the harvest. Oh, okay. So, a bit of their his- a bit of the history. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Um, and that's why it was, it was really cool to learn about that and actually understand why why it's still held on to as a traditional dance today and and yeah it, it was an amazing experience i i definitely recommend people doing these free dance classes i am no dancer by any means so it, it was still a fun experience it was great just to make a fool of myself but be in the company of others who were enjoying doing the same <laughs> um now you went to a few shows mm-hmm. um and we are going to hear your we're going to see your written reviews up on citr.ca um as soon as i get to that but mm-hmm. um so can we uh start with urban underbelly now yeah, yeah oh, sure this is um with anosh irani anakana showfield who we've had on the show before as a fave of the show mm-hmm. uh jeet tile and michael turner another local um so it looks like we're talking about cities across yes. the world yes um well particularly two of the authors uh anosh irani and jeet tile uh, both of them wrote their, uh, or at least the works that they were discussing in this um, lecture was uh, about Bombay, and particularly like the seedy underbelly of Bombay. Uh, Anna Anakana was uh, discussing a bit of rural Ireland, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great book. You should check that out. Malarkey, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. So each of the authors actually uh, read a passage from their books, Um and uh, I could start with Jeet Dial because uh, he was the first one to go up. Uh, his new book, Narcopolis, it was actually, I-, I believe, it was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize. Wow! So it's, it's a, yes, it, it's his first actual novel. He he considers himself primarily to be a poet. Uh, interestingly, though, his his book, his no- novel, Narcopolis, at least from what he read, is very poetic in its language. The first sentence of the of the entire novel is a six and a half page long sentence 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Joyce, whatever. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think uh, Anakana was saying, hey, we shouldn't give him the credit for, you know, stream of consciousness consciousness and like super long sentences yeah joyce still takes the cake but <laughs> but by it, it was a really interesting way to to the way he like paints a picture of the opium dens in bombay it was at a time when cheap heroin was just about to to get into and infiltrate bombay mm-hmm. uh so his book kind of looks at people who are frequenting the opium dens the kind of characters you'd see and that are not really represented or talked about. So he felt that he needed to write a book uh, that covers these kind of characters. And, you know, some of them are based on real people that he met and, you know, just or even just saw briefly and observed. But um, other than that, like, it, it's, just a, it's just an incredible book. To, like, to hear him read it out loud, I think it was the way he was able to read it. And he was able to punctuate every little sentence perfectly because, you know, he's a poet, so he's become used to reading his work out loud as well. So he, he, he uh, I, I would recommend reading this book entirely. He really uh, wrote a wonderful book. It was, uh, it's, it's a mixture of dark and gritty, but at the same time, the poetic language is really easy to get into. And yeah, it's highly recommendable. Great. Is it, were there any other um, highlights from that event that you want to share? Uh, I, I guess I or could is that say... Or was that kind of the, the, he really stood out for you? He stood out for me. I was going to say um, Anakana and Anosha's readings were both excellent. Malarkey <laughs> was particularly funny because uh, Anakana really embodied the, mm-hmm. the rural Irish mom. Like, because her son is gay in this book. Mm-hmm. And she brings home her gay, his gay lover. And then the tensions that causes between the mother, the father, and then the father telling the mother, like, oh, you have to get him out. I, I, I can't deal with this. <laughs> it's just, you know... It, it was captured really well, and uh, it was very sharp, witty kind of humor. And even though it deals with, you know, the subject of the alienation of, of her son, it it was dealt in a very heartfelt way. It was it was kind of it kind of brought both sides into the picture. How how like a, a mom who's you know not used to any of this, mm-hmm. and seeing and, and and you know both her and the father dealing with her son, but the son trying as hard as he can to make them comfortable with it. It, it was a realistic story in the sense that it it didn't uh, it didn't try to whitewash anything. It was it was all out there and but at the same time still mixed in some humor, you know. Well, you can um you can look through the CHR archives for our interview with Anakina from uh, Malarkey a few months ago. Um, now you this is not the only thing you saw. Um, you also uh, got to see uh, the conversation between Deepa Mehta and Jeet Tail, who was also featured in Underbelly. Yeah, and that's uh, I don't want to choose. Can you like what what was that like? I mean, it's quite the uh, she's quite the. Uh, the writer, Deepa Mehta. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, both of them are excellent mm. writers. And uh, th- this event's conversations were basically trying to get down to a personal level, down-to-earth kind of level with the, both of these writers. Uh, Suresh Rao actually ended up moderating the conversation between them. And Suresh uh, is the artistic director. Yep, we've we've talked to him before on the show. Uh, you can check that out on our Mixcloud, mixcloud.com slash artsreport. Plug in the Mixcloud. <laughs> And the basically the focus of this was both Jeet and Deepa were very strong in their views about people 
uh, trying to hold somebody to a particular cultural identity. Both Jeet and Deepa experience this. You know, people ask them, do you feel more Indian? Do you feel more Canadian or American? Like, both of them have traveled around. Both of them have had international kinds of upbringings. And their education uh, varies greatly in terms of they've, they've taken inspiration from Indian works and English works, you know. So to, to be pigeonholed into one cultural background for them feels limiting. Mm-hmm. And um, that makes sense. Yeah, that's basically what the whole talk was about. It, it was like, do you feel more Indian, English, American or Canadian? And they both say, why even bother with that? It's irrelevant to, to their artistic work. This, to them, it's just a matter of they create this work and you judge the work on its merits and try not to consider, you know, what the authors feels about their personal background, you know, like it just judge the work for its own merits and what you think of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think th- it also got quite deep in the sense that um, they both started talking about how there's a, f- there's a form of English that, that Indians use and that... Um, they were getting at that Salman Rushdie was the first to really pioneer Indian English. And it kind of paved the way for both Jitail and uh, Deepa Mehta's own works. So do you mean kind of like the, the communication in English of kind of um, Indian literative language? It's, it's like that. It, it's like... Like capturing that spirit of, yeah, of it, Indian literature. It, it's, it's like a... I would describe it as how Indians talk in... In English, for mm-hmm. example, uh, like we, we mix in, we'll mix in Hindi and English a lot. Like it, it's just something that that's become, you know, because of the colonial past. It's, that was damn colonial. <laughs> it's become, it's up. become a part of the, the, the way we talk. You know, you'll intermingle English and, and Hindi all the time. Or, you know, because India is huge and has so many different languages, it's the case with Punjabi in English or Gujarati in English. But Indian English also refers to the way that maybe people like Deepa and Jeet, they've been educated through a British system or American system of schooling. And they mix in like, you know, their cultural words and what they know of their culture with the English they've learned. Hmm. So that's kind of what Salman Rushdie was able to pioneer. At least this is what I gathered from, uh, from what was being said. Like, this is my interpretation of it. And... Um, Jeet, for example, though, would say he hated when people thought he was inauthentic because he didn't speak and write in his, uh, what is supposed to be his native tongue, Malayalam, mm-hmm. which is a language from the south of India. Not, it's a very, very, like, um, small minority compared to the rest of the languages of India. Very few people speak Malayalam. But, uh, you know, people were accusing him of being inauthentic just for not writing in that language and, you know, not embracing it. But for him, his native language is English. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. You know, what the language you're comfortable speaking and the language you're comfortable writing in is your native language. And for him, that was English. And pretty much the same with Deepa as well. She can speak other Indian languages, but her works are done in English. And she mm-hmm. feels that that's the best way she can do it. it there was controversy for her movie, uh, Fire, because all the dialogue was in English. Mm-hmm. So, again, that drew more criticism from from their own indian communities back home so this is what they were getting at that like people never seem to be satisfied people from back home like in india will will say oh you're not being true enough to the culture not being authentic enough and then people abroad will be like well you know show us your authenticity prove it to us Mm -hmm. 
And I think I agree with both of them when saying, why does this matter? This should be irrelevant and it should be gone. The concept of cultural authenticity. Yeah, I think uh, I think that that kind of ties in with what I was mentioning just on the at top of the show is some of the workshops that are going on around this this opera. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is put on is facilitated by Rainbow Refugee, and they deal specifically with people who identify as queer, but also as people of color or or immigrants or migrants, and just like <laughs> that's a lot of identities. Those right are a there. lot of identities, <laughs> but it's also those are also things that overlap to really make it hard for you to find like where is my community who who where am i home like canada am i canadian you know and uh, so i think that those issues are becoming more relevant as people move around the world so much um we don't have too much more time before we have to take a break do you want to uh give us kind of your um having participated pretty thoroughly in uh the festival can you give us some of your final impressions and maybe any notes on the the events that you want to add I think I'll just add the the final event that went down was the the Lit and Sound Cabaret, which mm-hmm. is, which closed off the festival. And for me, this was a great um, this was a really great event because it really did mix in different types of performances and different people from different cultural backgrounds, but all there to show their talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had people like classical musicians such as Mohammad Asani, who is an amazing sitarist. We had Curtis Andrews, uh, who was playing the Miradangam, and a bunch of other classical Indian percussion instruments. And these these two were in a band with a guy named uh, Roop Sidhu. And he was, these three, like, the trio of them uh, made the band called uh, Lapis. And what they mix in is a bit of hip-hop, beatbox, and then the sitar and classical Indian percussion all mixed in together. Interesting. Like it's fusion done right. That's nice. how I can put it. Yes. And it, which is it's not always done yeah. that right <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I, I think that just summed up the festival for me. Like because at the end of the day, there were people who were able to fuse together their talents. There were spoken word artists. Um, Zacchaeus Jackson and Jillian Christmas were both excellent. Uh, they're repping Vancouver, and they've told me that they're going to be repping Vancouver in the U.S. Nationals, actually, of the Slam Poetry oh, Championships. So awesome. we got to hear some excellent poetry as well. Um, and yeah, overall, it was just it was just a great experience for me too. It was a great experience to see other people that are you know that are kind of like myself, that Indians coming to Canada and forming their own community and forming their own identity. Mm-hmm. And it was completely distinct from what what I thought I knew, you know? Like, it wasn't these people who had just clung together. These people, uh, as in the artists that we're representing here, um, they really were open arms and uh, to all cultures, and they let all cultures influence their works. And I think that's what really the festival is about. It's not about creating boundaries and seeing where these boundaries uh, end or where they start. It's just where they intersect. Mm-hmm. And that's all that really matters. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your coverage, Rohit Joseph, uh, arts reporter extraordinaire. And um, we are, and you have, uh, you're going to do some coverage for us coming up in the next couple of weeks as well, correct? So we'll hear more from you uh, coming up. And uh, we are going to take a a break. And when we return, um, we are going to learn a little bit more about hot art wet city with a conversation with chris benson um if you the the indian summer festival is over now but you can check out what happened uh at indiansummerfestival.ca and i 
I think you should use it as a as an artist resource. You know, check out some of these authors mm-hmm. and musicians, right? Definitely. Yeah. Just check out their names and then, you know, search them up, look up their stuff. And also, I believe you can get involved next year in if you check out the website, the indiansummerfestival.ca. Get involved. Yeah, you can volunteer. volunteer, get an internship. I myself, I'm, I'm definitely considering doing that next year. Awesome. Okay, well, thanks so much, Rohit. And we are going to take a break. Um, as I said, Hot Art, Wet City. And then we are going to close out the hour um, with uh, Catherine Musalam, who is uh, part of Skin and Bone at the Vancouver Maritime Museum. And she has some saucy, salty sailor tales for us. Stay tuned. Saturday, August 3rd, the Queer Arts Festival presents Yamantaka Sonic Titan. Come check out this experimental art and music collective from Montreal as they blend mythology, black and white television, psychedelica, and rock operatics into a sensory feast. Tickets are only $5 for youth 24 and under, courtesy of TD's Come Out for Art Youth Ticket Program and $20 advance for adults. For more information, go to QueerArtsFestival.com, sponsored by CITR. On Friday, August 2nd, the Queer Arts Festival presents Kinney Star with Chris Dirksen. This is the official release concert of Star's new album, Kiss It. Tickets are only $5 for youth 24 and under, courtesy of TD's Come Out for Art Youth Ticket Program and $20 advance for adults. Ticket price includes a CD. For more information, go to QueerArtsFestival.com. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Arts Report. Um, so this is Seams uh, Bailey and uh, with uh, featuring Ashley Look, um, who is also at the Queer Arts Festival, as far as I know. Anyway, uh, it's, it's so many tie-ins. Um, we are going to hear a little bit, and this is by uh, Chris's request, Lay. Um, but uh, Chris Benson uh, is the owner and operator of Hat Art Wet City, um, which is hotartwetcity.com, facebook.com, slash hotartwetcity, etc., etc., Twitter, whatnot. Um, and he uh, recently, as of April, opened a gallery at um, 2206, I believe, the 2200 block um, of Main Street, across from the um, gorgeous parking lot and just down the street from Foundation. And uh, he has uh, a couple of amazing shows coming up. Hey Loser and 
teenage wasteland um, with friend of the show Sarah Bynow. And I uh, actually met him briefly at a Sarah Bynow night and they were talking about teenage wasteland and I said, hey, you know, I'd love to come in and see the see the show and see the gallery and learn a little bit more um, than what you might have heard on Vancouver's Awesome, which is where he's been profiled so far, um, among other places. So uh, I have some tidbits for y'all. Um, we have uh, a little bit of a talk with Chris about the uh, event, uh, but first I wanted to get to know him a little bit more. So uh, I asked him a little bit about not only the uh, gallery, but himself as an artist and how being a gallery owner in Vancouver um, has taught him about the local scene and about uh, brought him back to his art. So here is Chris Benson of Hot Art Wet City talking about the gallery and himself as an artist. Chris Benson, we're here at Hot Art Wet City which is a little gallery by the infamous bus stop where you can catch the 3, the 8, and the 19. <laughs> I feel like that is almost a, a stronger reference point than an address. Could um, be, it could be. Which opened earlier this year in April. In April, yeah. With the Great White North exhibit. Let's give us a breakdown on the concept of the space um, before we talk a little bit about what kind of events are coming up. Uh, I wanted to open a space, and a, a gallery space, that showed work that was fun, accessible. As an audience, you didn't have to read a long artist statement to really understand what's happening on the wall. I think for a lot of artists, it's just hard to kind of break in the door, right? Like, to be able to show at a gallery where they may not know anybody, and there's not a lot of opportunities in Vancouver for just open calls for work like I'm showing. Uh, the open calls that you see on, online are, tend to be, I don't know, they're, they're, I guess they're more like public art spaces, I guess, like libraries or community centers, that kind of gallery space. But once you get into Vancouver, you know, at an actual gallery space, it's, you kind of have to know somebody to get into one of those shows. So I think that opportunity to show when you haven't shown or you're just unsure of yourself, it's kind of cool. And I've heard it a few times now where people who've never been in a show are just excited to be in a show or, um, you know, they're teenagers and they get to be in a show with adult artists and a wide range of quality from that, from those adult artists, from people who are doing it for a living right down to people who are just kind of playing around with it, seeing where it takes them they don't expect to ever become professional artists. So uh, after talking a little bit with Chris about how the gallery um, is connecting with emerging artists, um, we talked a little bit, as I said, about how these emerging artists um, are connected to Hot Art Wet City and the culture of Vancouver and how participating in that has brought him back to his own artistic devices. Those kind of aesthetic values that you bring to these different interests in your life because I think that's mm. a really people live very aesthetically uh, in this community in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Not all people in Vancouver but there's a subsection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, huh, that's interesting because I, I guess the way I've looked at it before too is that I kind of 
I'm kind of in this weird middle space of being somewhere between DIY and design. Like, so kind of rough around the edges and uh, super clean and modern. So that, I've always kind of straddled that line. So, you know, in the gallery here, it's like, it's still a white box, wall, like white walls, white box, but then I've also got the chalkboard wall mm -hmm. and you know, things are kind of messy in that way. And, you know, if you look closely, things are a little rough around the edges, but it's still kind of pulled together somehow, usually. Um, and that's just kind of how I am, too, I guess. Uh, Modern design, but rough around the edges. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah, because I kind of came out of uh, the 90s DIY scene here in Vancouver, so it's like punk rock, emo kind of stuff. I don't want to say emo because it has a weird connotation now, but <laughs> it, it was hardcore and DIY stuff, so zine making and um, zine making and, and screen printing and all that kind of stuff, which is now making a comeback, it seems. Everybody seems to be making zines, and like Hey Loser Show is a lot about you know, the DIY, and, and um, they make zines and buttons and, and do screen printing and stuff like that, so it all feels like it's coming back. Um, but then I went to Emily Carr for design, for graphic design. So I'm thinking about the way space is organized and how it communicates to people. So there, there's this weird, uh, it's not really a juxtaposition, I guess. It's just this weird mix that I've kind of created for myself where it's high design and low brow. I don't really know how to put it other than that. Art, especially in Vancouver, is such a tight-knit community and everyone kind of knows each other. Do you have any thoughts on, on how Hot Art Wet City fits into that? <laughs> um, from what I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, but from what I've heard from a few different people, it's that I'm injecting some new blood into this into this city, which, I mean, that's super flattering to hear that. Um, and maybe that will spur other galleries to either up their game a bit or other galleries to open. Pretty much anything to get the, the city a bit more interesting, <laughs> it provides more art spaces, you know, I'm all for. Even if that means there's more competition for me, that's okay, I think. I think, I say that now, but, you know, when I'm crying in the corner because there's somebody else who's open in, across the street, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, I don't know, we'll see. Um, um, well, but, it seems like there's, it, your um, exhibitions are fun. Yeah. So, and we live in a no-fun city, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that, though. No. I don't believe that we live in a no-fun city. And, like, you go anywhere where there's event listings, and there's so much happening every night of the week. And I think the people who say it's no-fun city, they are either not finding what they want to do, or they just don't know what they want to do. Or they just like to complain, maybe. I don't know what it is. But there is too much to do. Let's go back to your, your journey. You were saying that it took you 20 years to get to this point, and that, you, you know, you maybe wish someone had kind of been around doing what you're doing for you yeah. when you first started out. So as someone who has kind of followed the design path versus the arts, um, has, has running this gallery, how has that impacted your artist life? Uh, I guess it's spurred me to make art again. I think that's mostly what it's done. Um, the last time I was really making art was kind of around the same time that I was starting to do design full-time, uh, starting to do freelance full-time. Um, and I just kind of stopped doing it because I was just like, I don't have time to do everything anymore. Uh, and now it's, I, I don't make much, but it, it's 
when there's a show that I feel like I can make something for and I have the time and I'm not just doing administrative work here, um, then, then I can make something. Um, can you give us a little insight into uh, your artistic aesthetic? I mean, we've talked a little bit about the rough edges around the modern design, but in terms of the, the artistic um, work that you're doing, can you give us a little insight into to who, might, to who might connect with that? So I guess the piece in the show right now is um, Expo Ernie, uh, but Expo Ernie, inside Expo Ernie is David Suzuki. <laughs> so my thought was that, you know, I'm, I don't really know much about David Suzuki in the 80s, so maybe he had a job at Expo 86, and he was Expo Ernie. Um, and originally I thought, too, that the image would be him on a smoke break, uh, but then that seemed somehow wrong for David Suzuki to be smoking, um, So I, and I felt bad about that. Oh, so, you got to push it, Chris. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not. It, there, I ha, he's an icon, and I don't want to disrespect him. <laughs> I have a great deal of respect for him. Um, but then it's just coming up with those funny ideas usually, well, at least now, uh, coming up with a funny connection. And, um, and then the aesthetic of it is, is I guess, because I'm, work, I'm trying to work in the computer, I, I, I just don't have time to start painting again. So working in the computer is what I'm comfortable with right now. And uh, so it's a lot of line drawing and... and uh, Kind of taking it back to where I was in the '90s too, which uh, you know, kind of a screen printing aesthetic, or a, or a, you know, I, I guess it's kind of like a, a rough. Uh, still, it's the rough. It's the DIY. It's it's you know, kind of weird things that I liked back then, um, but not as angsty as I was back then. <laughs> Learned a thing or two since. Then. Yeah, yeah. The last time I was really making art, I was tackling subjects you know, around protest and the way that media pr portrays protest. And this is you know, in 2003. So <laughs> I can't keep going at that. And when nothing in the culture changes, then it's like I can't keep rehashing that same subject. It's still portrayed in the same way. Mm -hmm. you know, cameras and protesters, they're kind of numbering the same on either side. So uh, well, even worse now, I guess, with everybody with their camera phones, so everybody who's in the protest is also taking pictures of the protest, <laughs> so yet nothing changes. So I didn't really have anything more to say about that at the time. You're like, if you haven't listened to me already, yeah, yeah, and maybe it there's gets a different topic. Yeah, yeah it's trying, time to move into the fun stuff just to kind of clear my head, I guess, mm -hmm. and not, not be so cynical about the world. It seems like um, there's a lot of art right now that is almost like a, a 1990s palette cleanser. Like, because a lot of those, as you said, a lot of those issues and those aesthetics are, are coming back or never left mm -hmm. um, and are important. But at the same time, if, if you see something every day, you stop seeing it. So these kind of, these, you know, these kind of, shows and, and the pop art and, and stuff that's taking that aesthetic and that mentality and having a little fun with it, like um, not being so... Gen Xers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. This is when I was... So that was our conversation about uh, the gallery and about Chris as an artist. Um, but we have some some more specifics for you. Now, there's two shows coming up at Hot Art. Wet City. Um, opening on Friday is um, 
the very uh, aptly named Hey Loser, um, and where artists, they explore the most primary of art. Um, what Chris goes on to say, uh, calls it mark making and portraiture. Um, in the background here, we're actually listening to um, Tassels, um, which was another request, um, which is uh, Sean Orr um, from uh, CITR beloved Sean Orr from Vancouver, Canada. So check that out on SoundCloud.com. Um, but yeah, Chris is going to talk a little bit about Hey Loser and uh, then go on to tell us a little bit about Teenage Wasteland. Um, so Hey Loser happens this weekend, uh, and then um, Teenage Wasteland is starting on the 7th with a bit of a pre-situation happening on the 6th that you'll hear all about. And uh, our guest coming up later in the hour, uh, Catherine Muslam, she uh, is actually part of Teenage Wasteland, so it all comes together on the Arts Report. So I have a little bit more from Chris Benson about Hey Loser and Teenage Wasteland, and uh, I got a couple of... Uh, couple of familiar songs to go with that so here we go next up you have hey loser which is starting on july 17th i know that it is focusing on the uncool and the unsophisticated the crafty um and so far you've kind of had this real pop pop culture thing um a lot of which is uncool and cool again so it seems like you're continuing a thread tell, tell me a little bit about um this show and kind of relation to the the themes of hot art white city I, w- I wanted to kind of diversify the shows that i was having a bit so it wasn't just pop culture stuff um but still fitting with the same kind of feel so work that's still accessible, that's maybe taking it even a step down from a portrait to almost basic mark making, and also showcase some artists that I've been excited about just seeing in the city. So um, Ali Bruce, who is kind of, I guess, curating the show, coordinating the show. She's the main artist in the show. She's working on a mural in the entrance right now. She did the, the art for the flyer, and then she's kind of brought together some other people that I've I've seen their work around, and it's pretty great. Uh, Brandon Cotter, Hamish Olding, uh, Daniel Tatterton, uh, Tyler McMillan, and Victoria. Sorry, Victoria, I can't remember how to pronounce your last name. Sixa? Six, six, anyway, you know who you are. Uh, and their work all kind of has a, an interesting feel, and it's stuff that I haven't really been seeing around. I've seen their, their pieces from time to time. They're, you know, Emily Carr grad show, and uh, just in shows that I've been having. Brandon's been in the shows that I've been having, too. And um, it seemed like the time to showcase their work. Uh, I also feel like they're going to be uh, pretty popular artists sometime soon. Like they're going to they're going to make a name for themselves soon. So I wanted to kind of be be there and offer up a space for them to have that opportunity to show now, so that you know in the next couple of years when they're when they're really kicking ass in the art scene in Vancouver that yeah, I gave them that opportunity to have a show now they're f- doing the things with bigger galleries better galleries you know I think that's kind of cool you get your foot in the door on that franchise <laughs> so mercenary Chris <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess so but I, I see it as more of you know I think about when I was when I was their age they're all in their early 20s um, I, I think about how if I was given that opportunity to have a space to show in at their age, I would have been in going in a completely different direction. I would have 
continued uh, focusing on art personally rather than as kind of like a side thing that I do and go into graphic design instead and then eventually open the gallery. I mean, it's been <laughs> 20 years to get to this point where I'm opening a gallery, so. So you, so you have this Hey Loser that is going from July 17th into August 3rd, um, where with the opening on July 19th, so come by, and you're, you're focusing kind of on the, the uncool and the maybe less processed kind of versions of, of art. After that, you have Teenage Wasteland. So it seems like you're kind of continuing this unrefined, unpolished, version and, and Teenage Wasteland is um, off of Teen Angst with Sarah Bino and it's mm -hmm. like the art version of that right can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that collaboration I did an interview with Sarah for hotartwetcity.com weekly video interviews with local creative people not to plug it but there you go That's the whole point. Uh, oh yeah right um, <laughs> and she was mentioning that she had that idea do it as an art show uh, and that she had had trouble finding galleries to do that and I couldn't understand, well, I can understand why. There's no real financial incentive for local galleries to do that. But I gave her a four-day period, and, you know, let's do the show, let's make this happen, it's going to be super fun. It just seemed like a cool thing to do, just like uh, we're going to have events three of the four days, and then with a, an event on the, the day before it starts that's loosely associated with it. So it starts on the 6th, technically, with thing called Mighty Ugly. It's a workshop, a crafting workshop for adults. You purposefully make an ugly thing and not just cute ugly, but it has to be ugly ugly. So. Oh, this sounds like an art I can actually, yeah. I think, excel at, unlike all other visual arts. Yeah, there you go. It, and it's, uh, it's meant to be kind of a, a way to break out of routine and pattern. Or you're making the exact opposite choices when you're putting something together. And then, of course, drinking afterwards, just to talk about the work. Uh, and then the Wednesday night, the 7th, is the opening, so the artists will be in attendance and talking about what the work meant to them um, when they were teenagers and what they think about their work now. Uh, so it'll be painful and embarrassing and um, so angsty, I'm sure. The Thursday night is just a teen angst night, a regular Sarabino teen angst night. Friday night, uh, I think we're doing a karaoke night with some angsty songs thrown in for good measure. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a fun week of just angsty, terrible work. So anyway, the things that are happening here are coming up. So like you mentioned, yoga is starting July 24th. It'll be every Wednesday evening. Um, uh, hey Loser and then Teenage Wasteland and then kind of carrying on a similar theme a, a show called Process Color um, it's a group of comic book artists and they're going to be showing their process from initial idea to final piece uh, they'll have um, 
some work that will be for sale, but a lot of it will just be uh, drawings and sketches and, and handwritten ideas. And that's Tony Cliff and Rebecca Dart and uh, a couple other people that we just added in uh, today. Um, and then there's also part of that show, Tony Cliff has a comic book coming out that's being published at the end of August. And we'll do a book release for that here as well. Uh, the speaker series continues as well. So in August, uh, Mark Bussey, I can never know how to pronounce his last name either. Uh, he'll be speaking. Um, the next one at the end of this month is Corwin Hebert, and that is marketing for artists. And then that continues through the fall. Um, <laughs> Dr. Sketches is here for the rest of the summer too, um, maybe into the fall. So there's life drawing with burlesque models once a month. Uh, yeah, just keep your eye out on the site, keep checking in and see what happens, see what's coming up. Um, great. Well, um, what I'll do is, um, you know, after I kind of go through and edit things together, I'll probably send you a couple of follow-up questions via email, if that's okay. And that was Chris Benson of Hot Art Wet City, a little bit about what's going on. And of course, we had Baba Riley, aka Teenage Wasteland, in there for you, and Bex Loser. And now we have, of course, the ultimate angsty song, Dumb by Nirvana. Some hits coming at you on CITR. Oh my God, it's going to be crazy. Um, we, uh, you should definitely check out uh, hotartwetcity.com because there are uh, some really amazing artist interviews there um, as well as workshops um, including um, how to market yourself as an artist how to get involved in galleries um, there's a whole series of really cool workshops plus the, they got the yoga going on and Dr. Sketchies and pretty much anything you can use a space for and um, as you may have heard during our conversation we're setting up that baby rock climbing so lots of fun things happening at Hot Art Wet City um, and HotArtWetCity.com. Um, so I'm going to see you guys, obviously, at the opening this Friday the 19th um, for Hey Loser. And uh, I'm also going to see you, I'm sure, this Thursday at Skin and Bone. Uh, and we are going to talk a little bit more about the salty sailor tales happening at uh, the Vancouver Maritime Museum when we return from the break um so hot art wet city you can follow them on twitter and you can also follow chris benson at benson with a z b-n-t-z-e-n thank you so much to him for joining us and please do check out uh the gallery if you want a little bit of art without all those gummy artist statements you listen to citr 101.9 Biltmore and CITR present a Midsummer Night's Mess, featuring live performances from four of Vancouver's top body movers, 
Girlfriends and Boyfriends, Sunshine, Actors, and Sex with Strangers, Thursday, July 18th at the Biltmore Cabaret. Tickets are $10 at the door. Take me to a place where smiles, they don't seem real, and people act surprised. Need help moving into your new place? At Practicar Rent-A-Rec, we offer budget-minded individuals the opportunity to think economy with reliability, thrifty pricing, and value for your dollar. All you need is to be 19 or older and have a valid driver's license. For a cheap set of wheels, go to azureautogallery.ca or call 604-232-9873. That's 604-232-9873. Duncan McHugh's favorite artist, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> what to do she uh, and Anchors Away and Tattoos and Salty Sailor Tales all have in common? Well, I uh, am going to tell you, but first I'm going to play uh, a little thing that I like to call uh, a content warning because we are going to have some very uh, salty things coming up for you just now. <laughs> I can't speak a good swear, and I've only got my grade 10, and I haven't had a cigarette since I've been arrested, and I'm ready to f*** snap. So I'd like to make a request under the People's Freedom of Choices and Voices Act that I'd be able to smoke and swear in your courtroom. Because if I can't smoke and swear, I'm f***ed. The following programming may contain content that some listeners find offensive. If you are sensitive to foul language or explicit content, please turn your radio the f*** off now. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show uh, Catherine, a.k.a. Kitty Masalem, from uh, Tattoos and Scrimshaw, The Art of the Sailor, and... uh, a very, we, we're here to celebrate a very special event that's coming up tomorrow night. Uh, if you listened to last week's podcast, you know a little bit about what's happening uh, with the Vancouver Maritime Museum and the beautiful show, Art uh, of the Tattoo, that is happening there um, through the fall. But we're going to get a little saltier. Uh, and uh, 
Catherine, welcome to the show. Hello there. Um, we were having a lot of fun during Chris Benson's <laughs> interview checking out your iPhone, and that is the most impressive <laughs> list. And Rohit's still here. He was very impressed as well. Um, that is the most impressive <laughs> list of contacts with the first name Sailor that I have ever Yeah, and you only saw the A's and B's. I only saw the A's and B's. It went on for a really long time. Um, so this is an evening of, of Salty Tales, and I thought the best way to really introduce you and uh, the the photographer and sailor aficionado that you are um, is to tell us the salty tale of how you became who you are, I guess. <laughs> I mean, how did the sailor start? How did the sailor start? And that seems to be a pretty big part of your situation it, in life It is right a now. big part of my situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've always had a fetish for sailors or a love Ooh. of sa- <laughs> a love of sailors um kind of stemming from like being a kid in 1940s musicals and all the camp and the kitsch of it all and movies and there's always sailors in these little white outfits running around and when i was in um new york i always go at the end of may which is fleet week and every year I'd go, and, and the first time I was there, a friend said, oh, you're going to see sailors. And I just, I was like, what? I'm going <laughs> to see sailors. And then the first sailors I saw, I just, I, I lose it. I screamed down the street and ran after them because they're all in their little white outfits. And it's just ridiculous. It's so over the top. And it doesn't seem real. It seems like a movie. And then every year I would always be with friends or a boyfriend. And so it kind of curbed my sailor aficionadoing <laughs> so I would get like a day on the ship I'd get to go on the tour I'd one night in Times Square but I'm not going to subject people to this like like running around after them so in 2011 nobody was going to come to New York with me so I went on my own you, night, you just let it out I just I well night one um I the fleet came in that morning and night one I was in a gay piano bar in the West Village with a couple of friends and I went, I know that the sailors are drink around the corner. I know that they're out on McDougal Street. And I went, okay, you guys, they went for some food. And I said, I'll be back in 20 minutes. And I went out and I got the photo, that one that you tweeted a minute ago. It's like... At Arts Report. Yeah. CITR <laughs> underscore Arts Report. Check out the photo. The photo. And it's in the museum. It's actually six feet wide in the museum. So it's this huge, huge exhibition piece. And... It's these two sailors, and it could be 1943. It could be today. And, well, it was. <laughs> but um, in, And that night, though, I took that photo. I made out with my first sailor. Got a couple photos of that. Uh, <laughs> hi, Mom. <laughs> and I got a couple photos of that. And um, I went back to the gay piano bar to sing a couple of Liza Minnelli show tunes on stage. As one does. As, as I do. And um, I showed my camera. I showed the pictures to the guy. Everybody in the bar was like, oh, my God. They were so excited. And then the next morning, I looked through the photos, and they weren't really that great because I was a little drunk, and they mm-hmm. weren't that fantastic. And then... I flipped it into black and white, mm-hmm. and it changed. It was like, oh my god, bam. that's it, bam! <laughs> that and that became like I realized it really is that it could be the 1940s or it could be now, and so that's the photo that happened. And then I just dedicated the entire week, morning, noon, and night, to chasing sailors. Had you been? And- <laughs> had you been photographer? Uh, you've been a photographer at that point, oh, professionally, yeah. but like, had you been focusing on sailors? Was that not, subject matter for you? The, not in the least. No, um, they've come up a few times. Uh, I used to photograph parades incessantly, and I'd always photograph the big herds of sailors or marines going by. And it was more like bias, more yeah. than anything else. <laughs> but but it was like it was like yay sailors, but it wasn't the focus. And then the previous fleet weeks, being with friends, I'd get a few snaps of them. 
pictures of me giggling surrounded by a big pack of them. But this week it just changed and I ended up going on a ship tour down in Staten Island and I was on the ship that these guys came from. I didn't know that was their ship mm-hmm. um, from that, that image. But um, I saw one of the guys who was very obviously had black Ray-Ban glasses. And so I was like, you were with these guys the other night. And he calls them and they came around the corner and they were in their like, flip-flops and shorts. <laughs> and ruin, ruins the illusion. Yeah, I was going to totally say. Totally ruins the illusion. <laughs> like, they, 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 it's, like, it's like, oh, no, no, stay in the white. Stay in the little outfits yep. with the neckerchiefs. <laughs> and, yeah, and, so, um, and then I said, can I go out drinking with you guys tonight? And I... Ended up going out drinking with them. I ended up getting a bar fight that night. Wow. You truly became a <laughs> sailor. You just became one of the gang. I, yeah, kindred spirits. I found them. I got in a bar fight that night with some lady that was calling me creepy because I was chasing the sailors around. And but apparently she she wasn't so subdued herself. No, she was showing off her new engagement ring, and then she started flashing her tits at the sailors. Nice. So, yeah, in the bar, and so she's uh, a complicated woman. She that was one. a complicated woman, and so she started calling me creepy, and I was like, I won't say the b word. I was like, you call me creepy. <laughs> and she was, and, and it turned into one of those girly, pushy, shovey match things. And then I got held back by Sailor Chris and Sailor Jake, and it was really funny. And then throughout that week, it was just I went on the ships, I went morning, noon, and night. I started photographing them. I was out in bars, got thrown out of a bar. Nice. I won't tell you why. <laughs> Maybe oh. shenanigans. Oh, shenanigans. <laughs> shenanigans. And and so all of this, like, it just became this ridiculous uh, like, adventure. And the sailor said, oh, you should come down to Virginia. There's thousands of us there. It's the world's <laughs> largest Navy base, 70,000 sailors. Wow. So I contacted Washington, D.C., went up the chain of command, wow. found my way to get permission to go down there and started photographing on the base. And then from that moment onwards, I just started going to every fleet week that could possibly fit into my teaching schedule and... That was it, yeah. Now, having traveled all these fleet weeks, mm-hmm. um, I heard a rumor that things were starting to kind of, like, get cut back. There, it, there hasn't been a single fleet week this year. They've all been canceled. Oh, you poor baby. Sequester. I know. So, <laughs> Are you jonesing or what? Well, my mom, my mom said, if they're not going to bring them to you, you better go to them. Mm-hmm. So I went, um, I got permission. I went back down to Virginia. I had to see my friends, too. Of course. You know, of course. Um, and I went back down to Virginia and photographed uh, a couple months ago, and then... Last month, I was down in San Diego. The Marines actually invited me down there mm-hmm. to photograph um, a big event called Operation Dawn Blitz. And I ended up going, like, flying out in Japanese helicopters, going to sea, wow. going um, out in a Japanese ship, photographing the Canadian Navy on night dives, t- like, petting top-secret, mind-sniffing dolphins. It was it They was exist! Really, I knew it! They, they do! And it was, this I, story has everything. <laughs> it really does. It was guys. the best <laughs> trip to San Diego ever. It was like, it was like SeaWorld, but with top secret mind sniffing <laughs> dolphins. They did tricks for me. I pet their belly. It was amazing. And um, and then I went out on a night dive with the Canadian Navy. And then, oh, oh the man. the New Zealand Navy dive team did exercises on the beach for me in little tiny shorts and then ran into the water to cool off. It was terrible. And then the Canadian Army, I started getting involved photographing them. It's just, it's, it's just flowing all sorts of directions. And I had 200 soldiers on a beach um, in um, San Diego with um, like six armored assault um, amphibious vehicles that I directed into position to get the perfect shot of 200 soldiers with the mountains behind them. And it was like the perfect shot. And then I'm standing on a tank taking a picture of them. Yeah, Were good. you working alone this whole time? You yeah. That's- and I didn't even know what was going to happen. The only thing yeah. I knew was one event and I just, the rest of it was 
oh, hey, mm-hmm. and I meet someone, and I and like, then it launches, and into, it launches something. into something else. Okay. So I had no idea this was going to be my trip to San Diego. I just <laughs> oh, knew I was going to get one thing because my friend who's in the Marines invited me down there because he'd met me at previous Fleet Weeks. So yeah. Now, um, so speaking of just you know one thing after another, so you you have your thing, you have your your art displayed at the Vancouver Maritime Museum, who you uh, got connected with through Sarah Bynow, who's a friend of the show and also cooked me up with Chris at Hot Art White City. <laughs> so matchmaker, matchmaker. I know, she's fabulous. <laughs> um, so uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the actual kind of culture that's displayed through your photographs, because they call you like a social biographer, yeah, right? And it really yeah. is like this sailor culture, and it seems to like, you know, you show up, you know... It, Say their uniforms are called high drag, and you're you're talking about sometimes, and you're called like you're talking about camp, and these kind of they're kind of out of time in this yeah, weird way. It is because it's this sort of especially the whites, my favorite uniform, and and the navy, the similar mm-hmm. uniform, mm-hmm. the bell bottoms, the cracker jack box guy, you know, and that's the still, so that still exists. Like, that's you know, still the standard. Yeah, it is. Uniform? It's, it's wow. the dress uniform. It's the winter is the blues, and the summer is the white. Well, of course, you got to be on point. Oh, I know you do. No white, no white after Labor Day. Of course, um, and, and so it's really ridiculous. And you see them and you just, how is this, you know, this uniform never made sense because you, your ships are dirty and filthy and covered in oil and they're in these bell bottoms swabbing the deck. And, you know, every time I see a mop on a ship, I think they're going to jump into a, like a, Gene, <laughs> like a Gene Kelly number and do a little tap dance or something. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's really ridiculous. And I think a lot of this comes from, I have this love of nostalgia. I actually wrote my thesis on it and um, I love this vintage look, this mm-hmm. past, and here it is in our everyday, and it's just there. And it's not something we see in Canada, so it's something that's very uniquely America to see soldiers and sailors walking down the street in their full dress uniform mm-hmm. on an a- average day. And of course, Fleet Week is just ad nauseum. There's thousands of them rolling. So, the did streets. they do any song and dance numbers? Did Did you ever get that chance? Uh, well, not not like a musical number, but I did get a lot of dancing on bars to terrible party rock music. <laughs> well, that's where, that's where the Carly Rae Jepsen came in, because that was like the least offensive song that we discussed, which is in heavy rotation. <laughs> Um, she's at least local and a female, so yeah, I'm going to so take two off my boxes. Yeah, I got my hang on. But uh, but one of the other things that um, you were saying um, at a conversation we had previously um, was kind of talking about um, the – oh, and now I've lost my train of thought. Um, we were talking a little bit about um, – oh, um, how the, the, the Fleet Weeks – you know, they're being cut back, but the Fleet Weeks are kind of, like, promotional. Like, they're supposed to do certain things yeah. and act in certain ways to yeah. promote the the mystique, the nostalgia. So can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Well, I think it's, like, a, it's a massive shame because it was, like, one of the first things, like, in the military budget. Like, it's not a big part of the military budget to cut away a Fleet Week. Like, everything's so over the top. But um, it just seems like a big party that they're cutting out, you know, mm-hmm. so it seems like, oh, that's an easy thing to cut. But it's... It's good for public relations because they have these fleet weeks in cities that don't have military anymore. So they have them in New York. There used to be bases. There used to be a big naval shipyard there. There used to be all this. They don't have them anymore. So people get to see these people every day. They get to see the sailors. And they go, wow, you are real. And they, <laughs> So they get to get to meet the personnel. And you should see it on the street in New York. People are just like, thank you for your service and hugging them and buying them pints and buying them pitchers of beer. And it's just this insanely interesting experience and it's so American so me as the foreigner looking at it it's so different and then 
also the like little kids see the blue angels fly over and go I want to be a pilot and they see marines doing their like push-ups in the park and they're like I want to be a marine and they get to hold bazookas and machine guns and you know America <laughs> but yeah and you, you really were saying something about like they had rules about like how they're supposed to talk on their phone and smoke and things oh, like yeah, this oh yeah they're not allowed they're not allowed to um, they're not allowed to be in their uniform technically smoking obviously half my photos are them smoking on the street because they're usually drunk <laughs> by that point they're um, not allowed to walk and talk on their phone they have to stop and talk on their phone um, the marines are definitely a little bit stricter about what they have to do yeah that makes sense then the, the, then the sailors have a little bit less expectation on them they're allowed to you know get up to more shenanigans it's almost expected of them but um, yeah it's just a PR exercise and then it's also it's like great for them it's morale and so you just get to see this wonderful party and it's a real shame that there haven't been any this year and they don't know if they're going to go on next year and it's I might have captured the end of an era I was going to say like you really you really seem to have a a moment on film Mm -hmm. here now um the the show is about tattoos and scrimshaw overall um, beyond the, these these events that are mm-hmm. happening and scrimshaw being scroll work correct um, is the scrimshaw is the carvings on like the whale teeth oh, okay. um, that the whalers used to carve when at sea um, and of course um, the ones that are the uh, the prize of the collection the ones that have like the little warning next to them um are like the dirty scrimshaw they got know. boobs and saucy stuff. Yeah. saucy, saucy yeah there, there's some there's some saucy stuff happening they're sailors they're, they're salty what do you expect them to do they're a bunch <laughs> of men alone at sea for months on end years um, sometimes were there um <laughs> were there the any particular um photos or tattoos that you photographed um that uh, felt really representative of of what you were were doing. Um, yeah, there was like there's some of them that real traditional n- n- like nautical tattoo art. Um, so the one that they used for the poster is a very traditional sort of look. It's the pinup girl on his arm. He's got all the little nautical stars, and he actually stripped down. Like this is the best part is that this is. Somehow, just get these men. It's like I want to see your tattoos. And they're like pulling off their shirts, pulling down their pants. Well, you just said it's a bunch of men on a boat for a long time. Yeah, and then they come into port, and I'm out there. Make and up for I'm it. out Make there with a it. big smile and red lips, and mm-hmm. I'm like, "Hey, sailor, new in town." <laughs> that's how I approach them. Of course, <laughs> I, that's, that's how I. That's how, it's hey, yeah. sailor, new in town, and and I giggle that's and I smile. That's how I approach most people, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I actually. It's uh, my mother was with me the first time I ever approached a sailor with that that line, and it was like. <laughs> 10 years ago on a bus in San Francisco and Sailor sat next to me and I was just, I was so excited. I didn't know what to do and I just said, hey, Sailor knew in town to him and he got so embarrassed and, <laughs> and oh. it was very funny. It was the first time I had that experience like mm-hmm. running into one. But anyways, yeah, no, they, I think that when I see the traditional work, mm-hmm. that's, I really like that. But then a lot of them have stories behind it like, They'll have their children's names. They'll have de- like children who've passed away's names, friends who've passed away. A lot of these sailors come from um, p- bad neighborhoods, bad situations. One guy, um, Sailor Dwayne, he has this tattoo. It says like "Survive Southside Chicago" on it, oh, you know, wow. and it's got like a date underneath it. And yeah. I, you know, and they tell me their stories. Why this tattoo? Why this? Who is this? A lot of them, um, like, they'll have USMC for the Marine Corps. And um, one of my favorite stories was, um, it's a bit, it's it's one of those salty tales, but um, it's a Marine and he has on his back USMC Grunt. Um, he's an infantryman. And um, he was telling me about this tattoo. And he was like, oh, well, I want to show it to you. This is in San Francisco last year. And he's like, I want to show it to you, but I need to go in somewhere private, like the bathroom or the photo booth in the corner. 
And I'm like, what? Um, and then I realized it's because of the uniform that he's in. His shirt was gartered to his socks. <laughs> and so he had that to take his hot. pants off to take his shirt off. It's a whole that process. Is, it is a whole process. But anyways, we go into the men's room in this gross San Francisco dumpy bar, dive bar, men's room. And and I got this it's fabulous photo from it. It's like one of the, I think it's one of the sexiest photos. I love it. And it's his tattoo right across his back, USMC grunt. And then, of course, we leave the bathroom. He puts his pants back on and then we had just left a t- pool table full of sailors that we were hanging out with all night and they're all like ooh kitty what'd you get up to and I'm like nothing it's just really fast it's a little <laughs> fast <laughs> I was like I'm just looking at his tattoo <laughs> and like five minutes later they're all still making fun of me and five minutes later the marine goes zip zip and zip zip as fly <laughs> No, we were just taking a picture of his tattoos. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like, you know, the tradition and, and the lifestyle is like you can't, you don't really, you're transient. You don't have mm-hmm. a lot, you can't bring a lot with you. No. You it's, have to carry your, you have to carry your, your photographs. It's your ephemera. Your... It's your memories. And mm-hmm. a lot of them, they have stories about where it came from, you know, what port it was. So it's, it's all sorts of like great stories. And I know so many sailors are just like, they're covered in them and everyone is a story this is for my son. This is for, you know, the people I've left behind. This is my ex-wife crossed out. <laughs> so um, so do you have a, another salty tale for us um, before we sign off for the maybe another slice of life? Another slice of life, a salty tale. Um, well, I don't know. I, I've got salty. Uh-oh, you got me there. I, I'm, sh- I'm trying to get one that's like, you know, I Just go for salty. it. We did the content warning. <laughs> So, uh, my friends are probably listening to this and they're like, don't sell that story. Don't tell that story. Um, but I think, uh, there've definitely been a lot of hot messes that I've captured. Like a lot of, um, sailors that like see a lot of married sailors and interesting positions. Yeah. And, um, um, I behave most of the time. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you got to go along with the boys and such. I do have to go. And that's what I've found. Mm-hmm. I'm, as I said, kindred spirits. I'm, I've turned into one of them. And I do have a mouth like a sailor. I've, I've been good. Done very good today. Yeah. 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 So. Having met you outside of, of the station. <laughs> Dropping F-bombs yeah. left, right, and center. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and I just want to address one other thing you said is that you, you know, you used to come to UBC and you have a bit of a uh, connection. I, I did. I did first year arts, fine arts here. Um, in the early 90s. I'm so old. Um, but yeah, like I think it was 1994. Did you ever get to CITR? I did. Yeah. I, I, was, I was a volunteer at the station. I did a demo. I never, I don't know if I ever submitted it. Um, <laughs> I used to rough rifle through the free CD bin back yes. then. Um, and I just remember the person who gave me my tour was Nardwar. Yes. And I was like, he, who did my orientation and everything. And yeah, and I, when I came back, I, I was not sure if I'd remember where everything is. Walked right up to it, knew nice. where it was. And it's been... Almost twenty years. Since well, I've been here. it's been twenty years. Um, but you know this. Yeah, this is the lot. We're going to move to a new station oh. next next year. So love it while there you can. At the end, um, give us give us uh, where people can find you on the interwebs and whatnot, and see all your work, not just right. the beautiful sailors, but well, beautiful other things as well. Okay, um, my website is thealmightyqueen.com. Um, and I also have a Tumblr, which is the Navy stuff, and it's sort of 
the more I, I update it more often with like sort of more frequent photos and a little less more casual photos. Um, my friends on Facebook would obviously know the, the real casual ones, but I don't want the Navy to see those. Oh, they're, okay. they're like they're like ones where it's like you know one day these will get somewhere, but they're never going to let me take pictures again if they see half these. Nice. <laughs> but, um, but and uh, they'll have to fire all their soldiers. That's right. That's right. Well, we they mean... only most of them only last four years, so uh. you know they'll be gone by that point. Um, <laughs> but um, and so thealmightyqueen.com and uh, the uh, the Almighty Queen. Tumblr, Tumblr. And at almighty underscore kitty on yep, the Twitter. At Twitter. Um, so we tweeted uh, you out to the world earlier today. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up for the day about uh, this event no, on I, Thursday? No, I think it's going to be a great night um, spon- sponsored by my – I wish in life I could get sponsored by Sailor Jerry, but um, so, <laughs> rum sponsoring You're just us. paying them at this point, that, but someday. <laughs> someday. Someday. Um, yeah, they're getting enough of my money. Um, but it should be really fun. We're going to have some a lot of people talking. We're going to have um, Chris Hold, tattoo artist. He's going to be talking about the history of tattooing and obviously his years of experience in it and I think it's just gonna be a really great night really fun and a night at the museum so you get to like walk around and see the exhibit it's all open to us as well and be slightly sauced to do it so that is uh, skin and bone salty sailor tales at the Vancouver Maritime Museum uh, you can check them out uh, online at uh, vancouvermaritimemuseum.com or facebook.com and uh it's starting uh, around uh, six thirty-seven. So you're saying st- talk starts around seven. I think talk starts at seven. Um, I Rum starts earlier. Start, I think. I think the uh, sailor Jerry will be flowing earlier. Um, <laughs> I'm. I'm going to stay away from that until after. I don't need to be sauced during my my talk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, thank you so much, uh, Kitty, for joining us today and giving us a little taste of the salty life. Um, I've been wanting to hear all these stories for so long, so it's been awesome to have you on. And uh, definitely check out her photographs. And uh, thank you so much to... um, Chris Benson for joining us, as well as Mr. Rohit Joseph, as well, and um, and of course Sarah Bino for hooking this all up. I guess <laughs> you're like I don't know. I can't go a single show without mentioning you. So. Um. XOXO, I guess. Um, and uh, also, thank you to Carly Rae Jepsen for being the. <laughs> in some circles, you are the best music. So live it up um this has been uh, a slightly extended version of the arts report on citr 101.9 thank you so much for joining us and i'll see you again uh later in the summer and just to round out the theme of tonight i think i think we should probably hear a little more of anchors away on citr 101.9 um sand squash's hideaway is coming up at 6 30 
displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources.